Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're going to jump straight into the Word this morning. I'm reading Matthew 3, 16. We'll start here. It reads like this. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led out by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Pause. If I preach too long this morning, you'll be hungry. Okay, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was starving, he was dehydrated, he was exhausted, he was vulnerable. It's important to remember, Jesus, fully God, but also fully human. This is where we find him at in this moment. Let's continue reading of verse three. And the tempter came to him and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This morning, I have a question for you. How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment? Have you ever had something happen to you that was unexpected, maybe something that you didn't see coming? Uh, True story, four years ago, my wife and I moved to Southern California, and we were living in Palm Springs, which is the desert. And it was July 4th weekend, and we wanted to go to the beach for the weekend, so we, we rented an Airbnb and a group of our friends, we all went to LA, and we went to our favorite coffee shop, Verve. And I'll never forget it, it was like jam-packed, it was hot, it was humid, we go into this coffee shop, there's like 80 people in a coffee shop where there should have been 40, it is like just, it is a little claustrophobic. We go up there, we get our coffee, she gets her coffee, I get my coffee, we go, we get seated. And as we're reading our books, I can't help but notice, but out of the corner of my eye, her coffee begins to shake just like a little bit. At first, I thought her leg hit the table, but literally in a matter of seconds, the entire coffee shop began to violently shake. Now, let me bring some context to this story. I'm born and raised here in South Louisiana. So like, I do good with hurricanes, give me floods. I'm not built for earthquakes. I thought God was coming back. I kid you not, I did. I thought he was coming back. This is it. This is how we go. Southern California. It was hectic. Bookshelves are falling over. Coffee mugs are breaking. Babies are crying. I was crying. There was this Asian guy sitting next to me. I'll never forget this. He starts grabbing me and yelling at me in Mandarin. I grab him. I start praying for him. He could have been praying for me. I don't know what he was saying. It was crazy. It was hectic. And as soon as that thing came, it left. And I'll never forget reaching over and grabbing my wife's hands. And I said, that wasn't what I expected. Have you ever had a moment in your life where something happened and you thought, this isn't what I expected? I think oftentimes our relationship with God can be this way. You get saved and you start coming to church and you start believing God for breakthrough in your marriage. But when you go home, there's a disconnect between your expectation of what you thought God was going to do and your reality of what he's actually doing. You get saved and you start reading your Bible and you start praying and you start showing up to church and you're hearing Pastor Don preach. 
you go home and there's this, there's this gap, there's this disconnect between my expectation and my reality. And I believe that it's in this gap that disappointment begins to take over. What does disappointment mean? Disappointment literally means to fail, to fulfill hopes or expectations. Disappointment is when what you plan for, what you prayed for, what you hope for is not what is standing in front of you. But I have good news for you this morning. I believe Jesus had the opportunity to deal with disappointment. In a story reading, the Bible says that the heavens open and God speaks, Matthew 3, 16, and says, you are my son with who I am well pleased. Pause. This moment is so significant, okay? This is the first time we hear the audible voice of God talking to his son. And he's not just talking to talk. He says, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're mine. I'm well pleased with you. It's this like sonship moment. So special, so significant. Let's keep reading. What's the next part say? Then Jesus was led up by the spirit. We know God is a spirit, so this is God's leading, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's different than the first part. Like if you read them back to back, it's like, this doesn't make sense. It kind of seems odd. In one moment, you have a father who's saying, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're mine. And in the very next, he sends him to the wilderness to be tempted and tested by the devil. It just seems odd. It doesn't seem like the loving father that you hear about. And as I'm reading this story, I couldn't help but think of the many moments in my life where what I was standing in front of didn't match with what God had spoken to me. And this morning, I want to remind someone that just because the enemy has attacked you does not mean that God has not affirmed you. You got to remember this. Every time, like in Christianity, that we begin to face some adversity, that we're going to go through some hardships and marriage gets tough, we got to stop assuming that God is not with us. No, no, no. The promise that we have as believers is not that we don't go through storms in life. The promise we have is we never have to go through the storm alone. That's why I love what the psalmist David says. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. What was he saying? He's saying God is much more than someone who just saved my life. He leads my life. That means he's with me on the mountaintops and he's with me in the valleys. That means he's with me when everything is going great and your kids are serving the Lord and he's with me when all hell is breaking loose. He's with you. He's with you. So this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to give you these two things, two ways to overcome disappointment. The first thing we have to do is we have to hear God's voice. You got to hear his voice. I believe that whenever you hear God's voice, it's how you discover his will for your life. I love Romans 12. Romans 12, 1, it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Four years ago, my wife and I moved to California, and uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but South Louisiana is very different than Southern California. Can I get an Amen. And uh, our pastor, Pastor Jim LaFone, we kind of, we talked before we left and he said, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do these annual checkups where you guys go and every year we'll call in and see where you guys are at. So we went first year, about six months into living there, we're ready to come home. Okay, ain't got no boudin, no best stops, you know, no hamburger, steak, and fizos. It was like, we got homesick very quickly. And I remember at the end of that year, we had our phone call with Pastor Jim and Pastor Jim said, uh, Joseph, Rochelle, uh, how you guys feeling? I said, well, Pastor Jim, we're, uh, we're ready to come home. 
He said, well, have you prayed about it? Well, no, but why do we need to pray about it? Like, we need to come home. He said, Joseph, you, you guys are not ready to come home. Y'all need to stay another year. So we went into our second year of living in California. And this year, like we were genuinely faithful with what God had placed in our hands. Like we were working with students and young adults and we were growing ministries and we were doing outreach. Like we were doing our part. End of the year came again and we knew we were having a phone call with Pastor Jim, but this time we prayed. Oh yeah, we prayed, we fasted, no one ate or drank anything, okay? We, we were hearing from God. I remember that phone call, he said, well, Joseph, uh, how do you feel? So I feel prayed up. If I could have the word of the Lord in this situation. He said, well, Joseph, what if I told you that you need to stay in California another year? I said, I would say that you're not hearing from the Lord. I don't, I just, I just, I just don't see that. I don't know. I know who I'm talking to. I don't know who you're talking to. And I remember him saying, Joseph, you're not ready to come home. You need to stay another year. Now we go into year three and year three was one of the toughest moments of my life of our marriage, we started trying to have kids and we had two miscarriages back to back and we're so far from home and it was so difficult, so hard. The end of year three comes and we fly back home for Christmas. Kind of our routine, what we would do is the church we were on staff with Destiny, we would do Christmas Eve at Destiny. We would get on a red eye, land in Lafayette, Christmas day, have two days here and go back for a year. And that was our routine. And I remember, end of year three, getting on that airplane, going back to California. And I remember I'm just sitting there and I'm just like miserable. I'm talking to God, I'm like, God, why, why are you doing this? This is year three. This year has been hell. Like we just spent two days where we know we're called to be. Lafayette's our home. We love South Louisiana. These are the people that we're called to serve. Like, what are you doing? And I remember I'm having this conversation with God and I'm just sitting here and I look to my right and my wife is just silently just weeping. And I remember that plane began to take off. I reached over and I grabbed her hand and I said, we need to hear from God. And we begin to pray. And the only way I can describe it is it's like there was a light switch that was off. And by the end of that five minute prayer, that thing got flipped on. And like, as soon as we said, amen, my wife said like, what if, like, what if California is it for us? Like, what if this is like our end stop? And then I said, well, like, what if it's like going overseas and doing missions? And then it was like, what if the will of God is not something that's comfortable or convenient for us? Like, maybe that's not what we signed up for. And I kid you not, it is literally the hand of God. By the time that plane landed, we loved California. I kid you not. Like, the people that, like, aggravated us, we loved. The city we were begging to get out of. We had a heart for, like my whole perspective has changed. Our whole, our whole mindset changed. Like we were grateful for the opportunity to even do what we did. So this is December 28th, December 30th. We get a phone call from Pastor Jim. He says, Joseph, how you feeling? I said, Pastor Jim, I, I honestly feel great. Like I love, I love where we're at. Like we were right in the will of God. Like it's, can you believe we get to do this? Like, it's an honor to do this. He said, Joseph, y'all ready to come home? <laughs> yeah, you can clap right there. It's a good place to clap. <laughs> and as all this is happening, I'm thinking like, 
That's what Paul was talking about when he's saying present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means like, yes, I have a pulse and I got a purpose, but the only reason that I'm here is to be a sacrifice for him. It's never been about my will. It don't matter if I'm serving in Louisiana, Missouri, or California. It's never been about what's comfortable and convenient for me. It's always been about God, what do you want? What do you want? Remember when uh, Jesus was having the conversation with the disciples and they asked Jesus, they said, hey, how do we pray? How do we do this thing? This is what Jesus told them. He said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's always been about his will. It's always been about his will. I started doing this thing now when I moved back home. I go to Reds. I don't work out. So someone's going to make fun of me, but I don't work out. I play basketball. And I started doing this thing where whenever I go to Reds, I just say a quick prayer, just like, God, use me. I just want to be available. Like, not my will be done, but yours. And every time, I always have an opportunity to share the gospel. Every time. Now, you know, disclaimer, it doesn't always go great. I've been kicked off a lot of pickup games. But it's always been about his will. It's always been about his will. The first thing that prayer does, whenever you're hearing from God's voice, it's how you find out what his will is for your life. The second thing that prayer does, prayer is his will and it is our Weapon, prayers, his will, our weapon. Now, this might be a newsflash for some of y'all, but I'm, I'm 30, so I'm a part of the younger generation. Our generation tends to be a little like us-centered, a little selfish, a little me-focused. Has anyone noticed that? Is that breaking news here this morning? Okay. And when I got saved, 2015 is when I, like, I really radically gave my life to Jesus. Like, this is who I am. I'm, this, this is it. I began to devour books on like prayer, but it, like from authors my age. So I began to read all these younger guys and something I've noticed is they all had the same theme. It was all about how to experience the peace of God and the serenity of God and stillness. And please hear me. I absolutely believe that peace is a person. His name is Jesus. Four weeks ago, I did a hospital call and I showed up. Uh, Whenever you get a hospital call and you hear it's cancer, you think it's gonna be someone elderly. I walked in and the guy was my age and it was like fear and anxiety was in that room and we began to pray and the Holy Spirit came and it was like peace that would make you weep. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I absolutely believe in peace. But then I begin to read some of like my dad's books. And if you go in my dad's library, he didn't have a book past the 70s. It's like 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s. That's his books. And I realized something. That prayer is actually a weapon. Like once you get saved, you're now a citizen of heaven, which means you're an enemy of hell. Welcome to battle. Here's your weapon. It's called prayer. If you do not use it, it's going to be a rough journey. And I begin to read a book. It talks about the beginning of Acts when the, when, the, when the early church was formed and the apostle Paul who had a big part of that happening. He, this, was, this was his basic message to the early church. This was it. We're under instruction to change the world. Once you've been rescued from it, you'll need power to become a threat to it. Power is the key to victory and prayer is the pathway to power. Okay, I'm gonna say that one more time because I like six goods. Y'all looking like you're confused. I don't know if we heard the same thing. I'm gonna say it one more time. We're under instruction to change the world. So this Christianity thing, it's not like I get saved and now I have, now I live a powerless lifestyle. And now I'm just sitting in a rocking chair and I just, I'm just old now. No, 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 it's never been what this is. We're under instruction to change the world. Once you've been rescued from it, salvation, you'll need power to become a threat to it, the Holy Spirit. Power is the key to victory and prayer is the pathway to power. Your prayer life was it never meant to be a spiritual melatonin that you take? It's never meant to be sleepy time tea. 
This is a dark world that we're living in. Once you are saved, have you ever felt like, like I'm always under attack? Like my marriage is always under attack. Like I don't, newsflash, you are under attack. The enemy has your name. He's after you. The weapon that you've been given is prayer. And if you do not use it, it will be so difficult. Uh, I remember some of my earliest memories as, as a kid. Uh, we used to have this big glass coffee table in my parents' living room. And you know, when you're a kid, you run and your dad picks you up. My, some of my earliest memories were I'd wake up in the morning and I'd run out and my dad would be praying. And he'd pick me up and... Uh, he, he prays violently. So if I was not awake when he picked me up, I was awake when he dropped me off. <laughs> and he picked me up. And like, I remember like him praying prayers like, like the enemy, I rebuke the attack that you have on his life. This boy will follow the Lord. He would grab my feet. I pray that favor follows his footsteps. Like he would like go to war on my behalf. So now you know what I do with a one-year-old son. If you come to my house in the morning, I have him picked up. And I'm walking around and I'm quoting scripture over his life. I, I thank you for the blessing. That's why I, I pray against the attack of the enemy. He will serve the Lord. I thank you that you already know his footsteps in advance. I am actively, I am going to war. This is not like a, a, a little like peaceful thing, the serenity. No, 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 no. I'm fully aware that there is a spiritual attack on my life and on my house. And prayer is the weapon that I've been given to fight and I'm fighting. Let me tell you this, very honest. I've never met someone that has been disappointed, frustrated, and upset with God that their daily posture and position as a believer was number one, every morning, your will be done. Not my, your will. And number two, I'm on the offense and I'm attacking. I'm not going backwards. So the first thing you have to do when you're dealing with disappointment, you gotta hear God's voice. You gotta hear his voice. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you heard from God? The Bible says if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. So the issue is never that God's unavailable. Oftentimes it's we are. You gotta hear his voice. The second thing you have to do is you have to trust God's voice. Now I work with young people, so I've had the revelation that just because they're hearing doesn't mean they're trusting, listening, and digesting. And all the parents said, amen. You gotta trust God's voice. I believe this is what we see in the story we're reading. In the story we're reading, God speaks to Jesus and he says, you are my son in who I am well pleased. And he's immediately sent to the wilderness. And do you know what the very first thing the enemy tries to do? He tries to devalue God's voice. He tries to cause trust issues. Look right here, Matthew 4, 3. The enemy says, if you are the son of God, hold on, if. Maybe I misread this. Can we go back to Matthew three seventeen? Can we do that? You are my son in who I am well pleased. You are, if he even said that. If God even said that. If you had a moment in church where you come and you get a word from God, maybe it's been here on a Sunday morning and you just, you know God's given you a word. Like, okay, I know having children has been tough, but we're gonna keep trying. I know this is God. I know this is a promise that he's given me. This is God. I just got a word. And then you get in your car and in the 15 minutes that it takes you to drive from here to your house, all of a sudden doubt and insecurity begins to come in. Like, can I really do this? Like we've tried to have kids a bunch of times and it's so tough. And like the thought of trying again and failing is so painful. Like what if I don't try at all? Okay, you come to church. Okay, 
I know marriage has been tough. I know it's been hard, but God, I know that you gave me this. I know you've given me a promise for restoration. This is it. I'm standing on this word. I'm standing on this. This is you. This is you. Okay? You get in your car. But like we've been to so many marriage counseling appointments and like it's been so tough and it's like just, I don't know if I can do it. Like I don't, okay, has anyone been there? What I just described. Okay, I just want you, I want you to see this. I'm angry. I want to pause for the cause of calling out the enemy because what I just described is called spiritual warfare. I want you to see this. The enemy's not strategic. The enemy's very stupid because as I'm reading this, thinking if you are the son of God I feel like I've heard this before like I feel like I've heard the enemy say this exact thing where have I heard this Genesis Genesis 3 let's go to Genesis 3 y'all know about Genesis the garden Adam and Eve the fruit yes okay we got to go back to Sunday school look right here remember God said you can eat anything you want it's perfect this is Destin Florida sunny 75 no humidity this is paradise you need anything you want Except one thing, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. What does the enemy say? Did God actually say? (laughs) Strategy is when you attack from different angles. Stupidity is when you attack from the same angle. It's like, brother ain't strategic. He's stupid. He has no authority over your future because only God can create. In the beginning, God created the heaven. Only God knows what's on the other side of your tomorrow. All he knows is your past. So the only thing he can do is try to get you to question what God has already spoken to you. Do you see this? Okay. So Pastor Joseph, how do we respond in moments like this? I'm glad you asked. Jesus shows us here in Matthew 4, 4. Now this is pretty cool to see because in Genesis 4, 3, the enemy uses this same bait in the garden, except he uses it against a man and a woman. In Matthew 4, 4, he uses the same bait, but it's against the son of God. A little different. So bringing context back to this moment, Jesus has not eaten or drank in a thing in 40 days and 40 nights. He is vulnerable. He's exhausted. He's exposed. He's dehydrated. This might be one of the weakest moments that we see Jesus outside of the cross. And it is at this moment that the enemy attacks. By the way, that's always when the enemy attacks. It's never when you're great, finances are great, family is great. No, it's always when you're at your most vulnerable moments that he attacks, okay? So this is where we find Jesus. And here the enemy comes. Did God actually say, if you are the son of God, turn the stone into bread? This is what he says, what Jesus' response is to the enemy. It is written. In other words, my father said, my father said, listen, you're going to have ups and downs. Your marriage is going to have ups and downs. The economy is going to go up and down. The only thing that never changes is this. You stand on this, come hell or high water. And when the enemy attacks, it is written. My father says, the Bible says, we're not called to fix our eyes on what is seen, but on what is unseen. What is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I'm not gonna be rooted or moved by what I can see. I'm gonna stand on what's already been done. Because when I stand on what's been done, I'm not begging for victory because we'll operate from it. Do you see this? Very first thing Jesus says, it is written. My father says, 
You no longer operate on your own authority when you bring him into the equation. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was so in tune with his father's voice that even at one of his lowest of lows, he never compromised his value. Do you know why I wake up every morning early and read and pray? It's not because I like waking up early. I hate waking up early. I do it because if I don't know my father's voice, I will never know my value. And when you don't know your value, when you get weak and you get vulnerable, then you become susceptible to the enemy's attacks. When you don't know your value, you end up giving something that's very precious away for something very cheap. I work with young people. Do you know why we have such a sexually immoral generation of young people? It's because they don't know their value. You're valuable. If you are not in tune with your father's voice, you will never know your value. And when you don't know your value, when the enemy comes, not if, when, you won't be ready. The first thing you have to do is you gotta trust his voice. The second thing you have to do, the first thing you have to do is you gotta hear God's voice. The second is you have to trust, trust his voice. I don't know how many of you know my story, but I'm a PK, which means pastor's kid. So this was my life growing up, this right here. Uh, midweek service on Wednesdays, worship rehearsals on Thursdays, healing service on Fridays. Church, you know, I always say I got saved eight times, baptized nine times, and on the ninth time, they held me down so long that I thought I saw Jesus. <laughs> That's just my story. And this message on disappointment, this message wasn't my message. Like, I, I've never seen brokenness. I've never even seen my parents argue. This is the truth, God honest truth. Beautiful family, great parents. I never really lacked. This was not my message. And then September 11, 2015, my entire life changed. Start off just like a day like any other. I'm one of five boys and me and my younger brother, Wesley, were working at a furniture store and we both clocked off at five and I went to walk-ons to get a burger and he went to a friend's house. And as I was walking out, about an hour later, there was like a chaotic scene on the street. There was like a big crowd of people and I didn't know exactly what happened, but I knew something horrible had happened. And we got closer, my buddy and I, and we split the crowd. And when we did, I saw my 21-year-old brother laying on the ground. Just get hit by a motorcycle and died on impact. And I remember for the first time in my life being so disappointed with God. This was way beyond like anger. This was way beyond frustration. This was deep, deep disappointment. I then spent the next year of my life in a very scary place, running from God, drinking alcohol, the whole nine yards. I wanted nothing to do with God. I've now learned that I was in a depression. By the way, depression is just suppressed disappointment. It's when you get so disappointed with life, so disappointed with your situation, so disappointed with what's happening that you buy into the lie of the enemy that I guess this is just how it's supposed to be. This went on for about a year. I mean, I literally, I didn't step foot into church. I wanted nothing to do with God. And then one day I get a text from a 760 number. I said, hey, I know you don't know me, but my name's Obed Martinez and I'm coming to speak at the Bruce R campus and I think you need to be there. I don't know why I showed up, but I did. And when I did, he began to speak this message that I will never forget. I can almost tell you word for word. The message was called, you can still get there on broken pieces. 
And for the first time in my life, I had the revelation that the plan that God had for my life didn't require me to have it all together. It didn't require me to be good enough and then get to him. It didn't even require me to understand why the things that had happened in my life had happened. It only required one thing. Just trust me. Can you just trust me? I remember I just began to weep. I was sitting there and I, I just, I lost it. The next morning, Pastor Obed took me to coffee and he said, hey, you need to get out of here. This place isn't good for you right now. And I can honestly say, when I left, I never looked back. And there's something that I've noticed in life is there's these crossroad moments. You only have about two or three of them in your life. I'm talking about when you're dealing with deep disappointment. I'm talking about when the marriage that you never thought would fall apart, falls apart. I'm talking about when the loved one that you never thought would pass, passes. The business that you didn't think would go under, goes under. I'm talking about deep disappointment. You either choose to recklessly give it to God or you hold on to it. And here's what I've seen, I've seen it. There comes a moment in life where if you hold on to hurt too long, you don't have a hold of it, it has a hold of you. God is so good. Lafayette campus, to altar, that's where we had my brother's funeral in 2015. And right at the altar is where my brother's body was. 2021, I stood in the same spot with my son, John Wesley, who's named after my brother. And I got to hold him up. I got to dedicate him to the Lord. And I had this moment, I'm telling you, it was this moment where I'm looking out and I'm seeing hundreds of hands being extended and I'm holding my son. And I had this thought of like, what if I wouldn't have trusted God? What if I would have gone the other way? What if I wouldn't radically, recklessly just said, God, it doesn't make sense, but I'm giving it to you. What if I would have held on to it? And I don't know where I would be, but I can promise you I would not be here right now. I can promise you. And this morning, God is giving you this opportunity. He's giving you this crossroads moment. And he's saying, it doesn't have to make sense. You don't have to understand it. All you have to do is give it to me. Just give it to me. Can I tell you that I am living, breathing, tangible evidence that what God has for your life is so much greater than anything you could ever have for yours. And if you would fully, recklessly surrender all that you are to all that he is, what is on the other side of surrender? Blow you away every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning if you're here and you're saying pastor if I can be honest that's me I've, I've been dealing with so much disappointment I feel like <laughs> I got crushed and then I've tried to hope again and just the thought of hoping again is too painful I, I, I've just fallen into such deep disappointment like I'm just it's, it's deep 
but I do know that if I hold on to this one day longer, it'll have a hold of me. If that's you and you're here, every head bowed, every eyes closed, and you're saying, I want to hope again. I want to trust God again. I can't hold on to this anymore. On the count of three, I just ask that you would raise your hand so I could pray with you. One, two, three. I see you, I see you, I see you. Hands raised all across this place. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you in the back. I see y'all, I see you. You can put your hands down. Father, I thank you that right now you are bringing a fresh wind of strength to those that have grown weary running this race. And they've trusted you and they've hoped and they've tried and they've been disappointed so many times that they've just given up. I thank you that right now you're bringing strength, strength to run the rest of the race. That the best part of them is not behind, it's in front. That you know the purpose and plan that you have for their lives, that you are the master architect of their story, that there's nothing that's been unseen by you. There's no tragedy that you didn't see coming. And right now you are strengthening them to run the race again. You're picking them up and saying it's not over. Thank you for fresh strength that's coming right now. Fresh strength. Fresh strength. Father, your word says that you draw near to the brokenhearted. I thank you that right now you're bringing peace that passes all understanding. It's like you're performing heart surgery. Thank you for healing that's taking place. Healing, Father. Oh yeah, healing. There's a second group of people here. And you're saying, Joseph, I hear you talking about God. I hear you talking about what he did for your life. But if I can be honest, it's never been me. I've never been religious. This whole thing isn't me. I just, I I try to stay away from this, but I do know that I can't keep living life the way I've been living it. I I can't do it. This last year, my life was hell. I, I can't keep living the way I'm living. I want a personal, passionate relationship with Jesus. What you're talking about, I have to have it. If that's you here this morning and you want a personal relationship with Jesus, this is the greatest decision you will ever make. This means that you're surrendering your plans for your life and you're getting his. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. On the count of three, if you just raise your hand so I can pray with you. One, two, three. I see you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I see you. You can put your hands down. Church family, would you pray with those that just made that decision? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. I believe you rose from heaven to give me a purpose on earth, a place in heaven, and a relationship with your father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.